Welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast, the show where we help you optimize your health, fitness, and mindset on a whole food plant-based lifestyle. My name is Maxim Seguin. I am a former triathlete, powerlifter, bodybuilder, and basketball player. I've been vegan for nine years. I've also been able to coach over 350 vegans from 20 different countries to completely transform their bodies and their health. I'm excited for you to listen to today's episode. Let's get into the show. All right, guys, I'm very excited today. We'll be talking with Dr. B, the man himself. How are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? Good, good. Well, I'm very grateful that you took the time to jump on the show. You know, we're chatting a little bit before, a little bit of a hectic day, but I'm happy we're able to make it. I mean, I'm more than happy. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that we get to do this myself. So, you know, life, life is hectic on a daily basis for me. This is what happens when you have three kids and one of them is a newborn. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's just kind of the way it works and you just roll with the punches and have fun with it. Yeah. Can't even imagine. I just got a dog recently, two weeks ago, and uh, that's keeping my hands full and a lot of hair everywhere. Dog is a lot of work, actually. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's like a, you know, junior version of a baby. It's like an introduction to what life is like. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a training step. Talking to my girlfriend, let's get the dog first and then look at the rest after. <laughs> one step at a time. No need to rush along on that. Yeah. Good. Well, you know, one thing I wanted to, to talk about it is your new book, which I have right here. Um, so the Fiber Fuel Cookbook. I was skimming through it, getting some of the recipes, reading the information. I read your first book, actually, uh, Fiber Fueled, which I had in my other home. I had to reorder because I forgot it in Vancouver. So I re <laughs> reordered it. Nice. And so um, for the people listening, I always like to say this at the start. I'm going to be doing a big giveaway. We're going to be donating, uh, giving away 10 of these books. So once you hear that the podcast goes live, you can head over to Instagram or Facebook. Um, and there's going to be the post where you can participate in the giveaway and it'll be available for one week. So be sure to enter, go look out at what you need to do in order to win one. Um, and so jumping into the into the book, like what got you to write this second book? Uh, obviously, you had a lot of success after the first book. And I feel like that's kind of where you popped off and I started hearing from you. And I feel like you brought gut health to what it is at least in the vegan space. Like that's what brought gut health to my attention is when you popped off and then brought it to everyone. Well, my goal, to be completely honest with you, my, my goal is to bring gut health into the mainstream period. So, and I value, and it excites me that this is happening within the vegan space because it's completely aligned. But to me, yeah. this is actually, you know, I, I actually create a separation between veganism, which to me is an ethical choice. Mm hmm and the message that I'm putting out into the world, which is about plant-based, not to say like, so, you know, let me just say I'm vegan. Mm -hmm. And I think that those ethical choices obviously are beautiful and very, uh, very much selfless. Yeah. And from like a place of warmth within your heart. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's also, I also am very pragmatic about it. And I know who I was 10 years ago. Yeah is a guy in his early 30s who was suffering with health related issues because of my diet. Yeah. And even despite like, you know, graduating medical school, being a well trained doctor, I, I, it really wasn't even on my radar that maybe the food I was eating was in fact the cause of my issues. Yeah. And changing my diet completely changed my life. And it was a plant based diet. And that was motivated by the science. The science has been there. The science has been there for, I mean, certainly since the 90s, we have known that a plant-based diet is the optimal diet for human health and longevity. Um, but 
what we didn't really see was sort of the full uh spectrum of the of the picture mm -hmm. so like it's kind of like this black box that existed between okay well if you eat this food this is what you get but we couldn't fully explain why that was the case and now boom here comes the microbiome science exploding because of new advances in laboratory technology that allow us for the first time to actually look at these invisible microorganisms we've known they're there but we didn't really have a way to study them or understand them and so we start looking into this and it's like i'm seeing these scientific papers come out that are blowing my mind and when and was that when uh, all that kind of started? Well, the laboratory technology became available in about 2006. Okay. And fairly course, recent. Yeah, very recently. And and there's uh, sort of maturation that starts to take place within science because it's not like this new laboratory technology comes out and instantly people hit the ground running. Like this is a new mm. technology. We're figuring out what it means and also how to use it. Yeah. And there's a period of learning that takes place even among scientists to like, so how, how do we use this? But, you know, to be honest with you, I, I would say the game changing moment, uh, both in science and also in my personal life happened at the same time. Yeah. Which was 2014, a paper published in the journal nature, which is the top journal on the planet by Lawrence David, who is based out of Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. And in this paper, Lawrence was not trying to prove that veganism is the superior diet. He was quite simply asking the question, because at the time we didn't have an answer to this. Mm -hmm. He was asking the question, can you change a person's microbiome by changing their diet? And if you want to answer that question and you sincerely don't know what the answer is, the best way to answer that is to create the most polar opposite diametrically opposed diets possible. And that would be a completely plant-based diet and pit it against a completely animal-based diet. Yeah. There's a lot of coming out now. And, um, you know, and so let's see what happens. And so they did this, every single participant in the study did five days of completely plant-based in five days of completely animal-based and it was amazing because literally within 24 hours you start to see that there's a shift taking place in the microbiome so like wow the food choices that you and i are making today are already starting to adapt our microbiome by tomorrow yeah but also um when people ate a plant-based diet that you could see how the dietary fiber was fueling a healthier gut microbiome and building it up, strengthening it. And then those microbes would turn around and they would actually break down the fiber and transform it into short chain fatty acids, which have healing effects throughout the body. So you see this yeah. in like just five days of going plant-based, boom, like this is happening. On the flip side, you see on an animal-based diet, like anyone can read this paper, just literally Google nature, David 2014, it will pop up. Um, you know, the authors are talking about how on five days on an animal-based diet, they're seeing bacteria that are emerging and becoming more represented 
that have been associated with colon cancer and with inflammatory bowel disease, mm -hmm. stuff that we don't want. Um, and the other interesting thing that happened, by the way, was that they, um, people were developing antibiotic resistance within their gut microbiome, again, in less than five days of eating the animal products. So when I see this, you know, I was drifting towards a plant-based diet. But when I saw this, I was like, wow, like this, this couldn't be more convincing from a scientific perspective. Yeah. Sealed the deal. Yeah, that sealed the deal. And um, it really started this journey for me that, you know, that was 2014. And in 2016, I started my Instagram. And in 2018, I got my book deal. In 2020, my first book came out. And Fiber Fueled was a New York Times bestseller, but also it sold 200,000 copies. Mm -hmm. uh, friends were telling their friends to read this book. And I, to be completely frank with you, was exhausted. Yeah. I was doing all this stuff while working full-time as a medical doctor and taking call every third night, you know, writing books at five in the morning. I have a family. I got kids Yeah, posting to Instagram. So, um, uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do another book and my publisher really wanted me to. And so what I agreed to was a cookbook thinking this will be easy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just, you know, I'll have Alex Caspero from uh on social media she's the wish knowledge she's my recipe developer she's brilliant yeah let me have her put together 100 recipes we'll find someone to do some photos and i'll like write three paragraphs and call it a day that's a thick paragraph <laughs> yeah <laughs> those were some extended remix paragraphs i did so you know for the listeners who are at home what ended up happening is that as i was gearing up to write the book uh, or, you know, put together this cookbook. So many people were reaching out to me and saying to me, Dr. B, like, I want to eat the way that you're describing. Mm -hmm. I want to do this, but I suffer with food intolerances. And they stopped me. I can't do it because I don't feel well when I eat the way yeah. that you're describing. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in keeping it real and being very honest about things. And I knew this is a problem. If we want people to uh, eat this way, whether it is for the health benefits or environmental benefits or for the animals, no matter what the motivation is, I'm not going to sit here and ask them to like make themselves miserable on behalf of these things. Yeah. They need to enjoy their food and be happy. And I felt like this book was an opportunity for me to create a resource that's missing not just in terms of books, but actually more importantly, this is a resource that's missing from your doctor's office. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. um, you go to your doctor and you say, I'm having food intolerances and they really, they don't know what to do. And some of them will order up tests that are extremely expensive. You have to pay out of pocket and they're actually not, the tests are not valid. They've never been proven to work. Yeah. And so the, the, um, I, I, I feel for the layperson, the person who's suffering because they, they just want to feel better and they're not getting what they need from our healthcare system. So I felt like, you know what? Cool. 
like we're doing a recipe book recipes are exactly what i need in order to help people fix these types of issues yeah let's do that and it became this weird hybrid book because i committed to writing the fiber fields cookbook and we still called it the fiber fields cookbook but like there certainly was a debate uh on what are we going to call this because this is more than a cookbook this is a protocol yeah yeah, as as I was reading through it, I was like, yeah, there's, there's a few recipes, but there's a lot of great information throughout it. I can see how there would be like a, a confusion as to how to name it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this is where, from my perspective, it's like, look, no matter who you are, let's, 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 you know, sort of consider a couple of the different types of people out there. If you're the type of person who has food intolerances, guess what? Like, from my perspective, this is the gold standard book for you. Completely evidence-based over 400 references to back up everything that I'm saying um, designed to not only identify what problems you have, but also designed to help you overcome those issues and heal and get back to make it so that these foods that you don't think that you can eat, make it so that not only can you eat them, but you can eat them and enjoy them and not live in fear of your food anymore. That's, where I want to get people to, but for the person who doesn't have digestive health issues, they don't have food intolerances. I mean, uh, if you believe in gut health, which I certainly do, I hope that you do. Um, if you believe in gut health, then you believe that the gut is connected to our digestion, our immune system, our metabolism, our hormones, our mood. Yeah, our brain health, our energy levels. If it's that important, you would not neglect something that's that important. You would not just kind of let it float along and hope that it turns out for the best. If it's that important. You should have a plan of, you know, not, not to be like uh, neurotic about it, but just like having an approach to your life that's designed to support and nurture this part of your body that's so connected to your health that like ultimately has a massive say on are you healthy today mm -hmm. are you gonna be healthy tomorrow are you gonna be healthy 30 40 50 years from now so that you can enjoy time with your you know kids grandkids etc and um I, I just think that at the end of the day this is way too important to just be assuming it's going to be okay that we should all have an approach to our life that's simple, sensible, but also that supports these microbes. And that to me is what this book is about. Well, that's beautiful. Um, I definitely like, I know, so we coach, we coach people, we coach vegans from all around the world. We've had over 500 members. And when your book came out, it became really popular amongst our members are just seeing photos of it in our group chat the, the whole way through. So I know this is going to be a popular one as well. Um, really happy that you took the time to, to write the book because yeah, there is a, like that and, and sleep, like the things that tend to be free and simple are the things that we tend to neglect. And I have so many questions about, about the gut, but one that I'm curious is I know that every time someone writes a book, they speak to have a lot of authors that are friends, there's a lot of research that goes into it. And so as you learn more, the more you realize that you don't know everything, right? The more you learn, the less, you know. Is right. there anything new that you learned while writing this book? Tons. 
tons. I'm constantly learning. I'm, I, there's things that I learned today. Um, you know, I think that uh, I approach these issues with humility, mm -hmm. acknowledging and accepting that I don't know it all. And I think the other thing that I would really want to get across to everyone is that I don't actually believe that there's one size fits all. So, for example, um, to an outsider, they may say, hey, you guys are both vegan. You have the same diet. No, we don't. Yeah, no. <laughs> right? Like, I'm quite sure there are foods that I absolutely love that may not be your favorite. And that's okay. And vice versa. Um, and there's also different ways in which our biology interacts with our food and how it makes us feel um, beyond just sort of taste preferences. Yeah. And so I, I am a um, big believer in our bio-individuality. This is not to say that the healthiest diet for anyone on the planet is a carnivore diet. I don't believe that to be true. Literally, I think that that would completely defy the laws of biology. Yeah. But uh, what I am saying is that there's different versions of a healthful diet, and ultimately, we all have to find our own. And so part of having that humility is accepting that I'm not going to write some book and tell you this is the exact way that you need to eat. And this is the only way to be healthy. That's nonsense. Mm -hmm. There's many ways to be healthy. We have to find what works for you. Yeah, absolutely. And you shared earlier in, in the previous study, I think with David, you mentioned they did five days of basically carnival, five days of plant-based, and you could see a shift within the first 24 hours. How long does it take to do a complete shift? in your gut microbiome, if you start changing the way that you eat, would that be dependent on the previous condition of how the person has been eating for years, or regardless of the condition, it can be shifted within a, a time frame. We all are on our own journey. We all are distinct and different in terms of where we are today. Mm -hmm. If you take literally identical twins, which you know, basically they have the exact same genetic code. They have the same parents. They, in the vast majority of cases, are raised in the exact same home, eating the exact same meals. They still only share about 30 to 35% of the same microbes. Okay. They're more different than they are the same. So I think that the, the point from my perspective is I've seen many studies, Maxime, where they look at making a big shift in the microbiome. And I consistently see that in four weeks, you can make a big shift in the microbiome. It's not a 24 hour thing. 24 yeah. hours is a change. But if you're talking about a shift, something that's radical and transformative, I keep seeing four weeks showing up in the medical literature. But the other thing to bear in mind is again, it comes back to the starting point. If you're a person who has ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, Mm -hmm. Your starting point is more challenging than someone who is completely healthy with no digestive related issues. And so that, you know, people with Crohn's disease and also colitis, they say, well, am I going to heal in four weeks? To me, that would be an unrealistic ex expectation. Yeah. And it could take months for sure. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I, there's an experience I want to share with you. I, once I, I was meat eater, kind of like you before, and then went vegan about nine years ago, was a bodybuilder, power lifter, like 12 eggs for breakfast, chicken breast every, you know, two hours with rice and broccoli. Wow. Um, and it's so like the typical like bro, bro meal. And as I transitioned to, to eating vegan and then whole food plant-based, 
And I started changing different things like the quality of my water, the, the skincare products I was using, all the things that are going to like your, your cleaning products into your house. I feel like my body became more sensitive than when I was exposed to something that was more processed in terms of food or a drink or something. It would totally. drastically, it would hit me so hard. Yep. And so that would all have to do with the gut microbiome shifting and basically it's cleaner, but it feels more sensitive to those types of food. Well, because first of all, those foods, they exist and it's like, um, I don't want to paint a picture to make it sound like any of us are so pure that we never eat them because yeah. that would be unrealistic. Yeah. Right. So, uh, those foods exist. I do consume those foods like literally on a daily basis. And the problem, I think that the reality is that your microbiome becomes adapted to whatever it is that you're eating. Mm -hmm. And when you deviate that, if you deviate from that, you are doing something that your gut microbiome has not yet been adapted to. It can become a gap. It can become adapted to it. Yeah. But it's not yet adapted to it. So many people, when they like go, you know, January 1st and they go hardcore vegan, like raw vegan. Yeah. You know, they weren't even close to eating that way. And then they feel like, oh my gosh, I'm miserable. I don't feel well. This is not the diet for me. It's like, well, are you surprised? It's a right, hard that, shift. That's a hard shift. That's a huge, massive shift all at once. Um, so when we shift towards a more healthful diet, we're establishing a new baseline. And it's a baseline where you actually feel more energized, more empowered right? Your body is in more alignment. And then when you throw the junk into the engine, you really notice the effect on the way that the car runs. Yeah. Right. So I feel that way too. Um, one of the things that happened to me, this is a story I, I've only told this a couple times. I, uh, I quit eating meat and I was in Savannah, Georgia. This was like 20, uh, 14 or 15, somewhere in there. Okay. So I had not had a steak in a very long time. Yeah. And that used to be like my, you know, sort of, if I'm going out for a treat, I'm going to go out and get a steak. Yeah. Right. So I had a really horrible week at work. Um, I was, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, waking up at four in the morning so that I could be in the hospital by five. Mm-hmm. And I was leaving the hospital typically at 1030 or 11 o'clock at night. That was the whole week. There were actually times where I was running from patient to patient just to try to cut down on the time so that I could try to get home. Yeah. Um, the week ended and I was like in one of those modes where I'm like, dude, screw it. Yeah. I deserve to eat something that I really love. So I went out by myself to a steakhouse and I sat at the bar and um, they brought out this meal that used to be my favorite and it smelled different. Yeah. And I took two bites and I was kind of grossed out by it. And it wasn't, this was like just organically how I felt. This was not an ethical issue for me. This was a, something has changed. Yeah. This doesn't smell or taste the way that I remember it. In fact, it's just not in alignment with, like, it doesn't make me feel good. And um, I actually just, like, grabbed the bill and I left. I paid, obviously, but I paid and I got out of there as quickly as possible before they would ask me any questions. Yeah. Uh, 
So I, I think that our shifts in our microbiome can be like very powerful in terms of our taste buds and things like that. How we feel. Yeah. Would you say, and I've always been curious of that. We talk about the food that you consume would make a shift in your gut microbiome. But I, I think I saw a few episodes of you talking about like water and products that you use. So the water you drink, if you drink out of like a Berkey versus if you drink out of the tap, like alkaline water versus water, it's a bit more acidic coming from the tap. If you use skincare cleaning products that tend to have more chemicals or toxins in them, would that affect the gut microbiome also? Everything in your environment affects your gut microbiome. Everything. Um, what you just mentioned. So like, you, you know, you, these are other things that we could ingest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you think about like artificial sweeteners and people assumed that artificial sweeteners must be good for us because they don't have any calories and they're not absorbed. Yeah. Right. So if they're not absorbed. That means they're coming into contact with your gut microbes. What are they doing to them? Yeah. Um, but it's this goes far beyond what you eat. And this goes far beyond skincare products or anything of that variety. This is also the home in which you live, the amount of time you spend outdoors, who else you share the home with. There's research that shows that we share the same microbes together. And it's not just a dietary thing. Even when you control for diet, we share microbes with the people that we cohabitate with. Mm -hmm. um, whether or not you have a pet, so like for you, good choice. You have a pet. Yeah. <laughs> good for the microbiome. Um, and one of the most powerful things is how you feel. If you are in a state of fear, you, you know, the fear, in other words, like anxiety um, or trauma or anything that's sort of activating your sympathetic nervous system, when you're in that mode, your body's in fright, fight or flight mode. And it will release certain hormones that are designed to support you in the setting of a sort of like momentary crisis, fight, yeah. fight or fight. But actually those things that are released, they um, set off a cascade of uh, physiologic responses throughout your body that ultimately downstream lead to negatively affecting your gut microbiome. And I, this is the reason why, like, if you want proof of the principle, if you, if you want to like, prove to yourself that what I'm saying is in fact true. And this is not just some woo-woo stuff. If you go to speak publicly and you're scared of speaking publicly, what happens? Your stomach acts up. Yeah. And that could be like butterflies that turn into small cramps that turn into big cramps and big pain or diarrhea. Or for some people, constipation. That is the momentary activation of the system. But what happens if this system is being activated 24 hours, seven days a week because of some stress in your life or because of trauma or something like that? This is how you get people who they could do everything right. They could eat all the right food. They could eat plant-based exactly the way that I described in my books. Mm -hmm. They could exercise. They could sleep. Um, they could spend time outdoors. And yet they're still not better. And my experience in this sort of situation is uh, to be honest with you, these are my most proud moments as a doctor because it's easy to tell people that they need more fiber. That's like, so I, I didn't need to go to medical school to be able to tell people that. Yeah. But to help people connect that something in your life, maybe it's your job, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's trauma, something in your life is actually impacting your gut and you didn't think that they were connected. 
Yeah. And showing them that the way to heal is actually to address that issue that has nothing to do with your gut. And then seeing their gut health improve as a result of that, that to me is like, that's, that's true healing. That's a miracle. Yeah. Well, I'm happy you said that because I, I have seen that a lot with members and with myself, with a lot of people that are around me, it's you you do everything right, right? You're technically doing everything right on paper, but there is that underlying thing that is causing constant stress into your life that you don't want to deal with. So you decide to control all those other things in the hope that you don't have to confront this thing, but ultimately it has to be addressed and that's what's going to make like a, a major difference. It's way easier to sort of push these things to the side. You know, if it's uncomfortable, why would you mm -hmm. Why would you go there? And I think that's a very human feeling. Um, that's not um, that's not being a coward. That's actually just being a normal human being. But the I think that understanding and connecting the dots that that aspect of your life is, in fact, the part that needs to be healed the most. Yeah, the critical piece, because then you can turn your attention to it and actually create a plan to take it on. And you're not alone. That's the other thing I would say is that you're not alone. Like people love you. There are people who love you. There are people who support you. They want you to be well. They want you to be happy. And part of healing from these things that you may feel like, hey, this is my problem. I have to deal with it. If you're my friend and I care about you, I want to help you if I can, right? Mm -hmm. Because I want you to be happy. I care about you. And I would hope that when I need that support, you would turn back and give me the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. We all need friends like that. That's, that's yeah. what makes a difference. Well, and um, we maybe have so many of those people, right? That may be our family and it may be like three, four, five people who are true yeah. friends like that. But but the point is that um, those people do exist for all of us. Yeah. And so, you know, looking at, at shifting the gut microbiome and improving it, what are, what are tactical things that people can do to improve it. I know there's a lot in the books and that's I highly recommend people read the books, but I'm, I'm curious as to like, once people are listening to this podcast that they can implement today to help make a difference. Cause we diversity, I'm, I'm pretty confident I'll say one thing about diversity, but I'm curious as to how do you practically implement that? Cause diversity can mean a lot of things. Sure. All right. Let's, let's talk about diversity. Uh, you know, this has been a backbone of both of my books. It was in my first book, Fiber Field, I described mm -hmm. this as the golden rule. Yeah. This is the golden rule of gut health. And um, the first of all, uh, the reason why this makes sense, the reason why this is necessary is that you have to understand that living inside of you is literally an entire ecosystem with hundreds of species of different microbes. And in our mind, this is hard to sort of understand, oh, they, there's bacteria, bacteria must be bad. No, actually, most of them are very, very good. They're there with a purpose, which is actually to help you. And they want to do that. But these microbes, they're as alive as you, you and I are, Maxime, and they need to be fed. Any living creature, uh, on this planet, it needs a source of energy. Mm -hmm. The energy source for these microbes is in fact, our personal diet, whatever it is that you put into your mouth and swallow will come into contact with these with this community with this ecosystem. The reason why diversity comes in is that they're, they're picky eaters. They don't all like the same food. And every single plant 
because the money is in the plants. Plants have the fiber, the resistant starches, and the polyphenols, which are the antioxidant compounds that give plants their colors. Yeah. Plants have all of these different things that we describe as prebiotic, meaning food for the microbiome. So their energy source is the fiber, the resistant starches, and the polyphenols. But they don't all like the same type of thing. And fiber is not just fiber. The fiber in kale is different than the fiber in a bean. So the way that we make sure that all of these different microbes get fed is by eating a wide variety, wide variety of plants, um, many different types. And this is uh, more than just my theory on gut health. This is actually scientifically validated, which is why you will hear many other people, some of them in the plant-based community, like Dr. Helen Desmond, some of them outside of the plant-based community, but kind of close, like they're very pro-plants, people like Tim Spector or Megan Rossi in the UK. We all are saying the same thing. You need more variety of plants. And that's because the American Gut Project, where more than 11,000 people, they analyzed their microbiome and their diet and lifestyle patterns. And they asked the question, what is it that these people are doing who have the healthiest guts? And the answer to the question was they're eating at least 30 different plants per week. Yeah. That was the single most powerful factor. When I first heard about this, I was quite shocked because people who ate more varieties of plants were had healthier guts than those who were vegan. And that's because it doesn't, it's not a question of whether you do or do not consume animal products. The animal products are not helping your microbiome. This was not diversity of animal products. Yeah. But the issue is that it's very easy to be vegan and just simply exclude animal products, but then eat the same foods constantly. Yeah. And so all of us, you know, I feel like part of my mission is it frankly does not matter what your dietary background is, whether you're vegan or you are not vegan, you should be doing this, eating more varieties of plants. Now, the question from you was, okay, so practically, like, how do we do that? Yeah, because some people are like, oh, per day, I need to eat a bunch of different ones per day. Or some people are like, I'll just buy a bunch of Brussels sprouts and I'll eat Brussels sprouts for lunch all week. Right. right. Yeah. So I think that, you know, first of all, putting this magical number of 30 into context is the first step. People need to understand that, like, it doesn't mean that people who ate 29 plants per week had unhealthy guts. All right. This is just the scientific statistical technique that they used where they had to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Yeah. 30 is better than 29. 31 is better than 30. It's a continuous number. The point is you want more varieties and you also want stronger representation in terms of like your total intake. So don't just like eat 30 little servings of plants and then eat a bunch of junk food and think you have a healthy diet. That would not be true. The point is that you want the plants to be dominating your plate and you want to make a variety a point of emphasis and keeping track of it is something that you can do if you want to. And it can be done in a way that, like, honestly, you can play a game and make it fun. And this is something that's fun, like, for adults to do or for kids. Put it on your refrigerator, right? Count how many plants you've had that week. If you're doing it with your kids, like, celebrate every single plant that they add to their list. Who cares about 30? Just celebrate adding plants to the list. And um, so you can do that, but again, this is not a magical number. This is about you and this is about progress. 
And to me, the way that progress is accomplished is not by scrambling in the last like day or two to add a couple more plants so that you can get you to, to some number. It's instead about consistency. If at every single meal, you perhaps hear my voice <laughs> saying to you, diversity of plants. Two more in there. Diversity of plants. Yeah. Diversity of plants. Like if at every single meal, it's on your mind, okay, I'm in the supermarket, diversity of plants. I'm in the kitchen, diversity of plants. I'm putting stuff onto my plate, diversity of plants. You're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing about this is that I'm completely convinced that you can stop worrying about counting calories, stop worrying about counting grams of fiber. And if you just quite simply say, am I eating more plants? And the answer is yes. And you're increasing that number, then you're doing amazing. And you also are putting yourself exactly where I want you to be, which is that the plants and the variety are dominating your plate. And when that happens, you are fueling a healthy gut microbiome and you will reap the rewards of that. Yeah. In, in terms of performance, how, how would that come into play? Cause I saw, there was a, I saw some sections about, about performance in the book. And I know you also work out your fit also, how, how would that affect performance to have a healthier gut microbiome? Because when people, for example, say they go vegan, reduce inflammation, my recover, I recover a lot faster. Would that have to do with the gut microbiome? Or would that just be a completely separate thing from eating plant-based that it reduces inflammation? Um, there are two major factors that I believe are reducing inflammation and simultaneously helping people to recover more quickly after an exercise, after working out. Mm -hmm. One is the polyphenols. Okay. So the colors in the plants are the result of these polyphenol or antioxidant compounds. Antioxidants neutralize inflammation in your body. Um, it turns out that the vast majority, like basically 95 to 97% of polyphenols are inactive until they come into contact with your gut microbiome. So okay. when you hear people talk about something like resveratrol, resveratrol is found in red wine. This is the reason why people, a lot of people like to celebrate red wine. It is a justification for red wine, <laughs> red wine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you will hear people like uh, David Sinclair, who talks about longevity. Yeah. He promotes resveratrol as like sort of a backbone of the approach that he encourages. Well, like resveratrol would be effectively worthless if you did not have a gut microbiome. It's because of your gut microbiome that you get the health benefits from that. The second thing that helps us to recover quickly when it comes to a fitness perspective are short chain fatty acids. And, um, for those who haven't heard about this, short chain fatty acids are, there's three main ones, butyrate, acetate, and propionate. And these three short chain fatty acids, they are the direct result of consuming fiber. I mentioned them earlier when we were talking about the five days on a plant-based diet in the nature yeah. 2014 paper. Um, these short chain fatty acids, they have healing effects throughout the entire body. But the, but the point is they are quite simply the most anti-inflammatory thing, the most anti-inflammatory molecules 
that I have come across in my 20 years of study in medicine. And um, we get them from consuming fiber. And 95% of Americans are not even getting the minimal recommended amount of fiber. If you start eating a wider variety of plants, I can assure you, unless you are actively trying to prove me wrong, like counting grams of fiber and intentionally eating small doses of plants, if you're a normal person and you start counting plants, you're going to consume more fiber. What's the what's the requirement? Where are people at right now? Like the average? So the, the recommended amount is 14 grams of fiber per 1,000 kilocalories per day. Okay. So if we take, you know, obviously men are bigger than women. So if you take a woman, the uh, typical recommended amount for uh, average woman in the United States is 25 grams of fiber per day. And the average woman is getting about 15 and a half. Okay. Okay. So like way low. I mean, we're talking again, 25 is not optimal. 25 is the minimum. And the average woman is getting 15 and a half. For men, the average guy is getting about 18 grams of fiber per day. It makes us sound great. We're doing horribly. <laughs> We're actually doing much worse than the women are. Yeah. The recommended amount for men, because we tend to consume more calories because we're bigger, is typically about 38 grams of fiber per day. And so okay. we're consuming 18 when we should be, when we should be getting 38. And I, and I think one of the key takeaways here is like, don't take, you know, 20 grams of a fiber supplement and think that somehow you have accomplished <laughs> to accomplish here. Yeah. Um, because the value of plants is more than just fiber. You know, the value of plants includes all of the stuff, including the polyphenols. And so when we get, you know, it's just so perfectly packaged by nature. When, when, when you consume these foods that contain everything all put together in a package, the fiber, the resistant starches, the polyphenols, the vitamins, the minerals, the phytochemicals, um, your body receives that, that nourishment mm -hmm. and it gives you exactly what you need to be a healthy human and reduce inflammation. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. The, the package in which it comes in is important because I definitely have seen people rely on the fiber powder or like the vegan protein bars that have like 15 grams of fiber in them. Um, and definitely you're, you're, you're missing out on all the vitamins and nutrients and the amazingness that comes with the fiber itself in, in the food. The, the evidence Maxime is that when people consume more fiber in their diet, they lower their risk of having a heart attack, dying of heart disease, being diagnosed yeah. with three types of cancer, dying from cancer, having a stroke, being diagnosed with diabetes, being diagnosed with Alzheimer's, being diagnosed with chronic kidney disease, or having bad outcomes from COVID-19. But that's dietary fiber. That's not the same as taking a fiber supplement, and you won't find data from fiber supplements that are showing anything close to that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly why I do what I do to help people not be in the position of having cancer because of personal history. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. It does make a massive difference. And, you know, when we talk about including diversity in the gut, we hear often of people saying like, I'm getting some gut distortion because the fiber in, intake was increased too rapidly. Um, how, how can we best guide those people? Because they're like, oh, okay, great. I'm eating maybe as a, as a man, I'm eating 18 grams per day. I want to start including variety. I'm going to, you know, trying to aim for the 30 or just to focus on diversity and then go up to like the 40 or 45. Some of them may experience some discomfort. So what would be recommendations to either alleviate or to kind of better understand the process? 
Yeah, you're perfectly describing the motivation behind writing my new book, The Fiberfields Cookbook. You know, this was the type of conversation or reason that I had to try to um, address this specific issue. Yeah. The first sort of thing to understand when it comes to this is that uh, your gut is like a muscle. It can be trained. Much like a muscle that, you know, if you haven't been working out and you go to the gym, you know that you can make that muscle stronger. But there's a process. Yeah. And if you push it too hard, too fast, you put yourself at risk of hurting yourself. So when you go to the gym, start super low and ease your body into it and find what you're actually capable of. Understand what that level of capability is. And then recognize that through repeated challenges, the level of capability, the line gets moved. You become more capable, more functional. The gut gets stronger, right? And that's the way that we need to approach this type of issue is that when you are deciding that you want to change your diet, every time you change your diet, you are asking your gut to adapt to something new. Yeah. Make those changes slowly in, in a small way over the course of time. You will give your gut a chance to catch up much like your muscles do in the gym. And people who work out in the gym, there's a reason they go back. They feel great. Yeah. Right. So when you do this properly, you should feel great. And if you don't feel great, it's because you're pushing yourself too hard, too fast, and you have to slow it down. Now, there may also be food intolerances, and that's part of what the Fiber Fields Cookbook is about, is helping people mm -hmm. to identify and understand food intolerances. And there's a process to that. Yeah. So it's the equivalent in a, in a sports field of you lifting weights in the gym, and then all of a sudden saying, I'm going to train for an Ironman, and you start running twice a week, biking twice a week, and swimming, you're going to be sore, and your body's not going to want to do it. That's exactly right. You can think that you're in great shape. You know, it kind of reminds me of when I was in high school. Um, I played soccer and I played basketball. Yeah. And I would transition from soccer season into basketball. And you would think you're in great shape because you've been running around oh, all over the so place. Different. <laughs> so different. Yeah. And then you start playing basketball and you're like, yo, I'm tired. I feel horrible right now. Yeah. And, it's, and, and then it takes you a week and then you're back in the groove again. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I played basketball for a long time too. It's, it's definitely a different form of cardio. Um, yeah. So Dr. B actually had some question for you from my members. There's a few of them, uh, actually like five of them that I want to ask you on, on their behalf. Um, is that okay with you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know what? Real quick, Maxine, before we go there, let me just round out real quick. Cause the original question, and I got a little crazy with the diversity of plants. I yeah. just want to add real quick. There's new data. So people are wondering like, what can I do? What's an actionable thing that I can do? Mm -hmm. There's new data on fermented food out of Stanford University, published about a year ago. We should all be adding fermented food to our routine. It's okay. Microbiome. Now, there's many versions of fermented foods. The advantage of something like sauerkraut, doesn't have to be sauerkraut, but the advantage of something like sauerkraut is that it includes the probiotic bacteria. It includes the fiber, the polyphenols, and all of the other good stuff that come from fermenting the food. So um, if the golden rule is diversity of plants, then the silver rule or like right there with it is to make sure that you add fermented food to your diet. And then the last thing is like, we already talked about this a little bit, but 
sleep needs to be a priority. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're staying up to midnight and you're drinking alcohol late at night and you have gut health issues, you shouldn't be surprised. Early bedtime, chill out on the electronics late at night. Uh, try not to drink alcohol in the evening aside from maybe the once once in a while type of thing. And um, give yourself that solid at least seven, but ideally eight hours of sleep a night. And it's amazing how much of a difference that can make for people. Yeah. Well, I'm curious you talking about sleep. I just want to go off of that because I'm reading Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep right now. Yeah. I'm yeah. almost done the book. I'm curious as to what is your nighttime routine being the gut expert and wanting to to optimize it. I'm curious as to what you do to help optimize your sleep so that the gut health stays healthy. Okay. Uh, not super complicated. I think the rules. It's are- not, or it is. No, it's not. Oh, it's okay. Not. It's 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 just I I just think that it's it's at least for me speaking for myself. Mm-hmm. It's about having the discipline. Yeah. To not infringe on these rules. And I think part of the challenge, this is just speaking openly for myself. When you work really hard, right? Like I'll, I mean, I'll have meetings routinely. I had a thing at eight o'clock at night on Monday night. I had a thing last night at eight o'clock tonight. I got something at 7.15 and at 8.30, right? So you do this kind of stuff and then you get done and you're like, yo, like I, I deserve something. So let me have a big snack or eat candy or drink alcohol and it's like all of those things are disruptive Mm -hmm. to healthy sleep so to me it's quite simple healthy sleep starts by like you have your dinner finish it if you want a piece of chocolate have your piece of chocolate then and shut it down and make a rule uh water is fine Herbal teas are fine, but no snacks, no alcohol in the evening. That's to me the first step towards healthy sleep is actually starting at dinner time. So when's the when do you stop eating before bedtime? Because usually people sit around like two three hours to stop eating, so you have time to digest. So I think that two to three hours is a good start. I think for for many of us, if we're committed to this, you know, obviously it depends on your lifestyle and some of the other things that you have going on. But if we're committed to this, potentially even more. Yeah. Right. Because if you have, if you can have dinner and be done with dinner by, let's say 7 p.m., that's a nice early dinner. And now you have, like, okay, if you went to bed at 10 o'clock, that would be three hours. Right. If you went to bed at 11 o'clock, that would be four hours. It's pretty good. Yeah. I think bedtimes, you want to be consistent because consistency is an underrated thing when it comes to sleep. Yeah. And you want to be on the early side. So I'm not saying go to bed at 830 at night. But what I am saying is don't stay up till midnight. Um, I think the sweet spot is going to bed somewhere between 10 and 11 o'clock. Yeah. And um, you, you want to avoid the bright lights and the electronics, particularly in the last hour prior, prior to going to bed. But ideally for a couple hours. They have, I don't have them here in my office, but they have these blue light blocking glasses. They look like, they're like orange and they look like yeah. you wear at a shooting range. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they're worth trying. I, I like I, them. Those are great. Yeah. I mean, like I notice a difference when I use those. 
So to me, again, these are the simple rules. I, I wind down. I try to avoid snacking or alcohol or candy in the evening. Um, I will, I, I'm not consistent about the blue light blocking glasses, but when I do wear them, I do notice that I sleep better. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that having this sort of window of, okay, like this is my hour. I'm going to, I'm going to go to bed somewhere between 10 and 11. And if you give yourself that sort of period of time and you commit to it, if you're more fatigued, go to bed a ton. And if you're feeling pretty good, you want to stay up to 11, fine. But 11 is a hard stop. Um, I think that to me is quite simply the approach because then, you know, if you go to bed at 11, even if you get up at six, you're good. Yeah. You hours. Yeah. Good. Well, I appreciate that because they definitely, they all, they all play into each other, right? In terms of gut health, the food you eat, the sleep, the exercise, it's all a, a big thing that people need to be, to be conscious of. A hundred percent. Yeah. Perfect. Well, so I wanted to jump in, into some of the questions because we have some good ones from the members. So we have uh, Julie. So I'm always curious on if taking probiotic supplements is something I should be doing. Also, are there indications uh, in my body to watch for signals if I should be taking probiotics? And is it true or false that taking probiotic supplements can lead to weight gain? There's like three in there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Taking on probiotics. Here's the scoop. It would be inappropriate for me to sit here and pretend that probiotics have no value. Probiotics clearly have value. I have seen tons of patients that have great results from probiotics. I think that the thing that people need to understand though, is that there's a level of hype to probiotics mm-hmm. that is disproportionate. You can't take a C minus gut and pop a pill and turn it into an A plus. That's the issue. So let's not have false expectations when it comes to the use of these types of products. Diet and lifestyle have to lead the charge. Yeah. So but, she, she's eating whole food plant-based because we make her nutrition and she's training and active. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. So then when you're doing those things, in addition to doing those things, that's when supplements come in. Probiotics yeah. are for them. I also think the prebiotics can be helpful. I know I'm sitting here saying don't take 20 grams of fiber. And I really mean that get your fiber from your diet, but a fiber supplement can still be helpful. Yeah. So with the probiotics, you want to choose a probiotic that is targeted to whatever specific health issue you're trying to address. So if the issue is irritable bowel syndrome, there's specific probiotics that do better. Like for example, Saccharomyces cerevisiae is an example of a probiotic that does better for irritable bowel syndrome, reducing gas and bloating, things of that variety. Mm Mm-hmm. You want to start by being targeted, but you also want to be a smart consumer because the thing is, Maxine, that again, with probiotics, much like food, there is no one size fits all. Yeah. The question boils down to how does that probiotic ultimately interact with your unique microbiome? And the answer to the question is not known until you actually try it. Yeah. Trial and error, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Trial and error. So the approach is try it, give it a month, see how you feel. And if you feel a a tangible difference and you want to stick with it and you're comfortable with the price, I would completely support it. Yeah. If you don't notice any difference, why are you taking it? Yeah. Um, 
So now in terms of weight gain versus weight loss, again, what it comes back to, there are specific probiotics that are um, known to uh, improve metabolic factors that can potentially promote weight loss. I haven't seen a probiotic that like you just pop a pill and it helps you lose five pounds. Yeah, it doesn't exist. (laughs) So, but if you, again, it comes back to what is your personal response? And Mm. if you start taking a probiotic and you feel like it's causing you to gain weight and you think, and you sincerely believe that that is the cause of the issue. And to me, why are you taking it? Yeah. That's what I come back to. Did that fully answer it? Yeah, it is. One more is like any indications to watch for in the body that would signal that you should be taking probiotics. Any like signs to look out for? Well, um, so again, what I come back to is diet and lifestyle first, and then you want to augment your diet and lifestyle with potential supplements that could include prebiotics and probiotics. And, you know, what are specific indications? Well, you know, for example, one of the things that I would look for is gas and bloating. Like to me, effectively, the quintessential digestive symptom is gas and bloating, because when Mm. your digestion is not going well, that's typically one of the things that people experience is gas and bloating. Yeah. And so, you know, you're doing better when that's not there. And that's, that's why I focus on it. Okay. Perfect. So thank you for that. We have a question from Michelle daily black coffee. How does it affect, how does it affect the gut microbiome? She's taking about two cups daily around 20 ounces recommend to stop it or to, that it's okay to drink the, the black coffee. Definitely don't stop it. <laughs> all I right. Love, so, I love coffee. <laughs> all right. First of all, let me come clean with my bias here. I love <laughs> coffee. Uh, you know, this is sitting right here in my Starbucks cup. Yeah. And right here next to me. Um, and I, I'm having it, you know, probably a similar amount. She's drinking 40 ounces of coffee a day. That's great. Uh, I'm probably right around there too. Here's the thing about coffee. So first of all, a couple things, coffee has fiber. Yeah. I know that's crazy, but a cup of coffee may have 1.5 grams of fiber. And when you put that in the context of the average American is only getting 15 or 18 grams of fiber per day, that's a substantial amount of fiber. Even through a filtration process, you would get, yeah. you would still get crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, coffee has polyphenols. Believe it or not, yeah. the number one source of polyphenols in the American diet is coffee. I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's, it's, a sad, uh, it's a sad referendum on the American diet because we're not eating the plant foods that contain polyphenols, but we are drinking coffee. Yeah. Right? But the other thing is we are consistently drinking the coffee at least. And yeah. so it's something. Uh, in research that I uh, have been involved with, with a personalized nutrition company called Zoe, which we can talk about later if that's something that interests you. But yeah, um, in research that I've been involved with, we've looked at in like literally large groups of people, the connections between diet and specific gut microbiomes and then metabolic outcomes. And when you look at this connection between food choices and microbes. Believe it or not, the food choice that has the most powerful signal is coffee. And I'm convinced that the reason why is not that coffee is a superfood per se. Uh, I'm, I think that the reason why this shows up as such a strong signal is that coffee has fiber, mm-hmm. coffee has polyphenols, 
Therefore, coffee impacts the microbiome. And it's something that we do every single day. Yeah. Right. So um, anyway, the point for Michelle is that coffee it, for most of us, coffee is a health food in terms of gut microbiome health. It has also been connected to um, reduced risk of disease in many mm. different parts of the body, reduced risk of Alzheimer's, reduced risk of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, um, among other things, probably because of the fiber and the polyphenols. There are some people that have diarrhea with coffee. There are some people that it can exacerbate anxiety issues yeah. or, in, or exa ex exacerbate IBS type issues. And for those people, they should not feel bad if they're not drinking coffee. That's okay. Yeah, definitely. And regarding we said like fiber, a coffee has fiber. I already know of a few, a few friends that would be like, I can have more cups because this is my source of fiber. There so, we go. Yeah, don't don't make it a source of fiber. Um, so we have we have Valerie. Uh, it says, Doctor B, best way to restore gut microbiome if you have to take prophylactic uh, antibiotics. Okay. Uh, so first of all, my wife's name is Valerie. So I'm wondering if she planted a question here with you, but anyway, <laughs> she's one of my members. I don't know if she works in my program. <laughs> maybe she is. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, a couple things. First of all, this, uh, study warmed my heart when I came across it. They looked at what are the specific dietary patterns that help to protect you if you're going to take antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And there was a single number one, most powerful, uh, factor fiber intake. Yeah. People who consumed more fiber, they had less injury to the microbiome and they had a quicker recovery of the microbiome. So if you think of like a baseline and then when you yeah. take the antibiotic, you're going to dip down. Yeah. The dip was less and then the bounce back was quicker. And that's because you're basically like support, you're continuing to support and nurture the microbes. Yeah. Take the antibiotic. So if there's one tip, it's that. Um, but to go beyond that, to go beyond eating a plant-based diet, I would also say during the two to four weeks after antibiotics is an ideal time to be very thoughtful and disciplined when it comes to your choices and choosing to not accidentally sabotage your own gut. Mm -hmm. So it's in a position of healing. Yeah. So now is not the time to be smashing it with alcohol or a lot of sugar, or saturated fat, get a good night's rest, get some exercise, give it the stuff that it wants and try to not do the things that are kind of like going to potentially cause more harm. Yeah. So just be more careful for a month after and then basically consistency in time. Yes. Until it comes back up. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. I know she's going to be happy about, about that. Uh, I have Carol <laughs> we have Caroline says, um, is a low fiber, low residue diet necessary before the clear fast day prior to colonoscopy? If so, for how long? Uh, good question. I, so I actually, I actually sent an, I, I had my first colonoscopy this year. Okay. Um, I did it because of a family history. Yeah. And I also did it because I believe in playing it safe. Absolutely. You know, part of the problem, Maxime, is that in my career as a gastroenterologist, I've had people that I've diagnosed with colon cancer as young as 27. Yeah. I've had 
a lot of people in their forties. Um, so I believe that we need to do this. I believe that we need to take advantage of the opportunity when it's there. We also need to be smart. If you're perhaps having symptoms of knowing when is the right time to ask the question, like, should, should I have this test? Mm -hmm. And in pre in preparing for the colonoscopy, of course, I'm eating a plant-based diet. Uh, you do need to reduce your fiber intake, but you need to understand what are the parts of the fiber that really matter. The soluble fiber is not a problem. A smoothie where you're like putting it into the Vitamix and it's getting chopped into the smallest of pieces, that's not a problem. Eating a salad, eating beans that have skins yeah, or plants that have skins like uh, an apple or a, a sweet pepper um, or uh, seeds and nuts. It's, it's the undigestible parts, the roughage that it could be a, like, you know, you chew it up and you swallow it and you're like, Oh, you know, I did what I needed to do there. And the problem is that the, the strips of roughage that are in your stomach, they're going to pass through your body just like that. Yeah. And when they get down to your colon, they can actually, actually obstruct the view of your gastroenterologist. Okay. Typically we would tell people to go low fiber for five days. Okay. I was a bad patient. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. But what I did do is I reduced the intake of those specific types of fiber. Yeah. And I also did a little bit extra on the prep side to jumpstart my bowels. So what I did, again, don't just hear this on a podcast and do it, but talk to your doctor. But um, what I did is I drank a bottle of magnesium citrate at noon the day before. And yeah, that, that'll make you go. <laughs> yeah it made me go like probably two three four times before i'd even started the prep yeah and so then it's kind of like priming the pump yeah because then you go to start the prep and it's just like boom and you're done yeah yeah oh thank you for sharing that um that was informative i didn't know that um so we have thor we ever remembers thor has the greatest hair ever um looks like thor uh, says how to keep your gallbladder healthy, uh, what to eat and what not to eat. Uh, they have actually studied this and now recognizing that people that are in your community, I assume they're already doing a plant-based diet, but just yeah. to reinforce to them, a plant-based diet is the way. And they've actually shown that the consumption of animal products increases your likelihood of having um, biliary disease and a less healthy gallbladder. So I can't, I wouldn't say that you need to necessarily go low fat on a plant-based diet. I don't think that that's a necessary step. There are healthy forms of fat that exist in the plant-based world. Yeah. Well, people don't even realize how much fiber there is in an avocado. There's a ton. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that the point from my perspective is just eating a balanced plant-based diet. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate you for, for taking the time to, to answer those questions. Um, Dr. B, again, just massive thank you for taking the time to jump on the show and provide some value and you know talk about your new book. So hopefully people can go and grab it. I'll put all the links down below in the show notes for, for everyone to go and order it, but also participate in the giveaway because you have a chance to win one for free. And if you only want, then definitely go and buy one. Um, Dr. B, any last words of wisdom that you would like to, to share with, with the audience? Uh, I think the last thing I would say is that 
no one is perfect, including myself. And I think that when we approach these issues, like you can have a very clear vision of where you're trying to get to mm -hmm. and recognize that you're going, you're, you're doing great if you're just making progress. And so I always like to say progress over perfection, because I, I think it's important to have a healthy framework of goal setting and celebrating the progress that you are in fact making and seeing that um, and not getting discouraged if you don't reach the pinnacle in some sort of time frame that you have predetermined was what you were supposed to do. I, I think it's about perseverance and progress, and that's how you ultimately accomplish whatever goal you set no matter what it may be, um, it's quitting because you get discouraged or frustrated. That is the problem. And so yeah. healthy goal setting, healthy mindset, I think is a uh, very important part of this process, part of life. Absolutely. And there's such a, a deep psychological process to people improving and wanting to change because we think that once we take it on, I'm going to do it perfectly the whole way through. There's going to be no bumps in the roads. And then as soon as there is, then chaos, you know, takes over. And then it's like, well, I couldn't do this for my gut. So let me just go eat a full bag of chips because I couldn't do it right the first time. So definitely I love, I love progress over perfection because what is perfection? That's, that's the one thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's what we say that it is because to you to go on the, on a journey for optimal gut health is progress over perfection that is perfection for you and for someone that would be coming in for the first time it would be like no i need to eat exactly 30 new plants like a variety of 30 plants every single week i can't have junk food i can't deviate deviate from that so i think with there's there's a wisdom to it as you progress along yeah yeah Beautiful. Well, Dr. B, thank you very much for jumping on the show. For everyone listening, be sure to check him out. Um, I'm, you probably already follow him, but all social media links will be down there. The link for the book also and the link for uh, the giveaway for the book. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. And Dr. B, again, thank you very much for joining on. Thank you so much, Maxine. A lot of fun, man. Great to, great to connect with you. Same here. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support, please share it with others that would benefit from it. Share it on social media and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Maxim underscore official and on YouTube at FitVegan. The links will also be in the show notes. I'll see you in the next episode.